0: Matthew 22, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and went off one to his farm another to his business while the rest seized his servants treated them shamefully and killed them the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Father, we thank you for your holy word, asking this morning that you would use a very crooked stick to point the way to the straight and narrow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we enjoyed our 30th high school reunion this weekend, and I welcomed some of our classmates earlier, but if you didn't hear me, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are our guest of honor today. We do have a reception in the fellowship hall if you'd like to hang around afterwards. That's to the left as you leave the sanctuary. But in addition to the reunion of significance with my high school classmates... Our church is also looking at a major reunion coming up in three weeks on october the twenty ninth that is our fiftieth anniversary celebration and our annual homecoming reunion celebration and As I was thinking about these reunions of special importance, it came to mind that the Bible of all the metaphors that you find in the Bible and all the pictures that you find in the Bible of heaven and Uh, the, the consummation of our promises of salvation in Jesus Christ, I think the image that is probably held out the most is the image of a reunion or a feast or a banquet where everybody is invited and it becomes a picture of deep and eternal fellowship. And you see that all over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. You see that in our passage this morning, Jesus tells us that God's kingdom may be compared to a reunion. And in this case, it's a reunion for the son of the king and his bride-to-be. And there's eating, and there's drinking, and there's celebrating, and there's rejoicing, and laughing, and dancing for days. The king is providing a banquet. And one of the hooks in this parable is this running idea that anybody would covet an invitation to this reunion. Anybody would covet to be an honored guest at this banquet. And I want you to understand this morning, the kingdom of God is not compared to a desert. Think about that for a moment. The kingdom of God is not compared to a fast. You don't see Jesus anywhere, particularly in our passage this morning, describing the kingdom of God as a heavy yoke that is something to be borne through hard work and sweat and tears. It's not an onerous obligation. It's not a burdensome call to work. It's a feast. It's a place of abundance. It's a place of richness. It's a place that symbolizes all of God's blessings of salvation. And I think this would have been a real surprise for the original hearers in Jesus' day, just like it's a real surprise, I think, for us today. I think human nature, the tendency, is to associate concepts of God with deprivation denial, an ascetic lifestyle. When I was young, growing up, I think this was a common experience in our generation. I think every generation um, has to be on guard for this. There was a concept of Christianity that was offered to me that was all about don'ts. Don't go to that dance. Don't go to that movie. Don't play that game. Don't use that kind of music. Don't go to that concert. Things you can't do. A list of no's. Friends, that's not the kingdom of God. That's not what Jesus is describing here. I think what Jesus is describing here very clearly is the kingdom as a feast for the soul. That's what the gospel is. It, it comes to us as a message promising it can address the deepest needs, the deepest desires, the deepest brokenness of the human soul. What do you long for? What do, what do human beings long for? What do every one of us long for? We long for love. We long for acceptance, we long for community, we long for a home, we long for purpose, we long for ease and refreshment and strength. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says it can speak to those most fundamental human desires. Now the world will offer you a remedy to those most Fundamental human desires as well. But it's an illusion. The world will offer you things that look good, smell good, taste good, promise good. And if you put all your hopes and your desires and you chase after those things and you spend your life chasing on what the world is holding out to you, what you're going to find out in the end is it's actually death And it's just fool's gold. It will not satisfy. It will not satisfy. It promises life. It delivers death. It's a counterfeit. And yet time and time again, you've got Jesus coming along saying, blessed is everyone who will eat the bread of the kingdom. Don't eat the bread of this world. Don't pin all your hopes on the bread of this world. Eat the bread of the kingdom. So the invitations go out to this wonderful reunion, this wonderful banquet. And at first, they're sent to a select few. We read in verse 3. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. The servants are sent to those, and the, the phrasing here presupposes they've already been invited. They've already gotten their invitation, or, or what we might call a save-the-date They've RSVP'd. They said, yes, we're coming to the reunion. The day of the reunion comes. The king sends out his servants and says, okay, it's time to feast. Come to the reunion. Come to the banquet. And even though they've RSVP'd, and even though the dinner is now ready, Jesus tells us they're unwilling to come. They won't come. Now, a lot of commentators will tell us this is so unnatural. That's really one of the points of the parable. It's almost unfathomable that under normal circumstances, anyone would turn down such an invitation. Anybody in their right mind would be absolutely thrilled to get this invitation. I'll tell you as an aside too, when this first set of Say the date cards goes out. If you, if you back up and look at the context, Jesus is talking to the religious elite here. This, this is a dig at the priests. This is a dig at the Pharisees. This is a dig at the scribes. This is a warning that as people who wear things like this, <laughs> maybe in danger, most in danger of being far from God. And that was certainly the case with so many of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They should have been excited. The fact that they're not excited is just strange, just bizarre. It doesn't make sense. Who in their right mind would turn down this feast with their friends at a royal wedding? There has to be a mistake. Has to be a mistake. So what does the king do? He sends more servants. They're not coming. Verse 4, again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Completely indifferent. No interest. No desire. They pay no attention. They don't care. They may have RSVP'd. They may have now had two personal Appearances by the king's servants telling them to come. The the calf is ready. They don't care. One goes to his farm. One goes to his business. And note, those aren't compelling reasons to snub the king. (laughs) Those aren't emergency situations that you just absolutely have to attend to at all costs. Your business can wait. Your farm can wait. I think clearly. This group of people represents those who are completely indifferent to the things of God and life is happening and life becomes the be-all, end-all of their brief existence to the point that they don't have time, they don't care about the things of God. And it's not that there's anything wrong with attending to your farm. It's not that there's anything wrong attending to your business. I'm absolutely amazed. One of the things I really enjoyed this weekend in catching up with old friends is hearing all the professional accomplishments, all the amazing and diverse skill sets, all of the things that these bright, talented young men and women are accomplishing in life. And I I do the same thing in our own congregation. I, I stand in awe constantly of the professional achievements and accomplishments, the way you tend to your farms, the way you tend to your businesses. Praise God for that. It's wonderful. But the danger in that and the problem in that comes when the pursuit of farms and the pursuit of businesses and the pursuit of professions in this world takes precedence over your pursuit of god and i think that's exactly who jesus is speaking to here this religious professionalism that just is totally indifferent to the things of god you know it's so easy just to compartmentalize religion it's so easy to put it in a nice little sanitized, deodorized box that sits on the shelf for Christmas, Easter, and maybe one or two other Sundays a year. And you put that to the side and the rest of your time and your resources and your efforts are spent constantly chasing the things of the world, the businesses and farms of the world. And you just get distracted, you just get busy. And you don't care and the concerns of this world choke out the things that are most important and the things of God. So you've got this one group that's just indifferent and they go on back to their farms and their businesses. But then you have another group in our parable that is just downright hostile to the things of God. Look at verse 6. They go to their farms, they go to their businesses, the indifferent group. Verse 6, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. They killed them. They killed the king's servants. They they totally disrespect the king. They kill the king's servants. It's disloyalty. It's rebellion. And this leads to judgment. Verse 7, the king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. That's just classic Old Testament judgment language. If you reject the son, you reject the king, judgment is coming. That's as clear as can be. But because the few would not come, because the religious elite and those indifferent who were busy with life would not come, the king comes with another set of instructions. And he says, now let's extend this invitation to everybody you can possibly find. He says to his servants, verse 9, Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many As you can find, go to the main roads, go to the highways, go to the intersections, go to those roads that go out from the city and go into the country where you can find people who are common. Go find people who would not normally expect to receive an invitation to the reunion of the king and invite them in, invite everybody. Go to the ordinary folks. Go to the poor folks. In Luke, um, we have a parallel of this same parable. And no doubt, Jesus would have told this parable many times over the course of his ministry. And no doubt, every time he tells it, it's probably a little bit different. Different emphasis here, different emphasis there. In Luke 14, where you have the uh, version of the same parable, Luke very explicitly says, Go invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, blind, and the lame. That's everybody. So it's not just the rich folks. It's not just the elite folks. And it's not just the common folks. He says, go invite the broken folks. Go invite the broken hearted folks. Go invite the crippled folks. Go invite the lame folks. Go invite everybody you can possibly find. The outcasts. Nobody is excluded. Nobody is excluded. In fact, he says in verse 10, those servants went out into the roads and gathered All whom they found, both bad and good. That's another dig at the Pharisees. Bad and good. What do you mean bad and good? Well, in the Pharisees' eyes, some people were unworthy of the gospel invitation. They were ceremonially unclean. Or they were morally unclean. Go invite them all. Whatever categories you put them in, go invite them all to the feast feast. The point he's making is God invites everybody who will come to his feast, come to his reunion of love and peace and acceptance and eternal life. And of course, this begs the question, would you like to be invited to the great eternal reunion? And I want to tell you this morning, you are invited to the great eternal. You're invited whether you want to be invited or not. This call is for you. This invitation is for you. Whatever you've done, whoever you are, however distant you may have strayed from God, however many years you may have strayed from God, However many sins you may have committed, all are invited, whoever you are, whatever you've done, however distant you are, God says, come enjoy my reunion banquet for all of eternity. This invitation is for you. But I want to tell you this morning, there is one qualification. And this is woven through this parable as well. It's woven through the pages of Scripture. And it's not a burdensome qualification. It's not a work that you must perform. That one qualification that God the Father extends to you as part of the invitation to the banquet is honor His Son. Honor his son. The king comes to the banquet. The wedding hall is filled with guests. He comes into the room and is perusing the guests, and one guest catches the corner of his eye, and something is off. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. In other words, he has no excuse. He has no defense. He can't answer the question because he doesn't have an answer to the question. And there's a little bit of debate about exactly what is this wedding garment. Some older commentators have suggested that the king would have provided wedding garments. So there was no excuse. If the king gives you the garments and you refuse to wear it, you've snubbed the king and you have no excuse. I think a more compelling understanding of this, and it's really the same either way, is that wedding clothes were just clean clothes. Uh, that There's not really compelling evidence that kings commonly provided clothes for people at banquets, but what we're talking about here is just clean clothes. He shows up dirty, not asking for him to put on a tuxedo, not asking for him to go purchase a tuxedo, just take a shower and show up clean. The most basic, fundamental, common denominator show of respect just show up dressed appropriately for a wedding. But however you read that, the the point is the same. Here's a man who's determined to come to the banquet, but he's gonna come on his own terms. I'm gonna come the way I want to come. And I think this is a warning about just going through the motions. You know, you, you can get your invitation, You can sign the card. You can send your RSVP back. You can show up at the banquet. You can be baptized. You can be a regular attender at church. You can be a regular tither in the plate. You can go through all of these motions, but none of it meets that one essential qualification, honor the sign, love the sign. Plead nothing but the Son. and here's the zinger. And all, all these parables have a zinger. That's a that's a uh, hallmark of parables. He was speechless. He had no excuse. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's again, just classic Old Testament judgment language. Jesus doesn't mince words about what's at stake in terms of what you do with the Son of God. And here's the zinger. Here's where Jesus goes for the heart. For many are called Everybody's called. But few are chosen. How do you know if you are chosen? It really doesn't matter what you're wearing. It's a parable, right? The clothing in the parable is a metaphor for your heart. And the way you know you're chosen, the way you know you really belong at this eternal feast, this eternal reunion, is not because you got an invitation in the mail. It's not because of what you're wearing. This guy comes in and says, I'm going to do it my way. The king says, you have to do it my son's way. And that means coming to the son with a heart that is not filled with pride A heart that is not filled with my own self-attempts at salvation, but a heart that is broken and humble and thirsty and hungry and repentant and pleads nothing but the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, when I graduated high school, I thought I knew everything in the world. (laughs) And then when I graduated from college, I thought, well, maybe i know a little bit. Then I graduated from seminary, and I thought, I don't know anything in the world. But friends, one thing I can offer you with absolute certainty, absolute certainty, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you For your holy word asking that it would penetrate our hard hearts and that we would leave this place today honoring your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.